Last week we began this series on God, which I feel unqualified to preach. (laughs) Talking about the character of God, the God of the universe. Uh, And we are doing this as a long intro during the summer into our sermon series on the book of Acts. Because the the book of Acts is often called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit is God, as is Jesus, the the Trinity, three in one. Incomprehensible, but fact. And so we are getting to know God's character. Then we're going to go into the book of Acts and see God in action. It's going to be a great, a great thing. We started last week making the statement that A.W. Tozer made in his book, Knowledge of the Holy. He said, what we think about God in our thoughts is the most important thing about us. What comes to mind when we think of God is the most important thing about us. And he goes on to say, we can determine with some degree of precision a person's spiritual future based on their thoughts of God. That's quite a statement, right? Your thoughts about God affect everything in your life. They affect everything in your life. And to the extent that we entertain low thoughts of God or high thoughts of God, our whole life is going to go in a certain direction. And so the encouragement is to come to know God for who he is as closely as possible. Because God is the ultimate reality. God is the creator of all things. God holds everything in the world together by his powerful word. God is the most objective reality there can be, and he has made things about himself known for us to, to come to know. And so it, it's really incumbent upon us to match our thoughts about God with who God really is. And that's, that's kind of what this series is about. Uh, this morning, we're talking about this question, what is God like? But before we get into that, I'd like to do a little game. I don't know if it's really a game. It's more of a slideshow. But I'm going to ask you some questions. What do you think this is? Girl on a swing. Or a boy on a swing, I guess it could be. My, my boys have some long hair these days. My son Elias has long hair. But yeah, it's, it's a little girl on a, on a swing. That's good. That's a pretty easy one. We can definitely tell what that is. How about this one? Trees. Yeah, this is one that was, it was a really neat experience. A couple weeks ago in our house, I was, it was kind of that haze of the end of the day, and there was a neat kind of color outside, and the sun shone through the trees in the yard and reflected on the wall a shadow of the leaves. It was, it was, it was like a picture of a picture almost, and I thought it was so cool. But this is leaves, a shadow, an impression of leaves, the likeness of leaves. How about this one? So do we think it's a cat or a dog? <laughs> Who says dog? One person, two people. Three, four, five, six. Okay, everyone's peer pressure. It's a dog. So most of you are wrong, or you didn't raise your hand, I guess. We can go back, and you can raise your hand if that would make you feel good. Here's a tough one. What do you think it is? Any idea? Ball? That's not bad. It's an apple. So that is the reflection of an apple. What do you think this one is? That is actually a cat. Isn't that interesting? You wouldn't think it, but the shadow is... So that's a cat. And what about this one? No, come on, people. Punxsutawney Phil. <laughs> that one's just for fun. But it's really interesting with, with shadows because... They don't give the impression of unreality. You know that it represents something. 
you can usually tell where the shadow is proceeding from because you have this kind of data in your mind. You look at, uh, especially like the cat or the dog, and you say, oh, that's a dog. I know that. I've seen a dog's shadow. So we use that base information, and we look at this and we say, yeah, this, this could be a groundhog. This could be Punxsutawney Phil. With that in mind, I'd like to read a long passage in Ezekiel 1. So if you want to turn with me, you're welcome to do so. We are asking the question today, what is God like? This is quite uh, an impressive vision that Ezekiel has of God. What is God like? Ezekiel 1. In my thirteenth year, in the fourth month on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kibar River, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kibar River, in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was on him. So here is Ezekiel recounting what he saw. I looked, and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning, and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being, and on the right side each of them had the face of a lion, and on the left side the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. They each had two wings spreading out upward, each wing touching that of the creature on either side, and each had two other wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire, or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright, sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not change direction as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. Talk about cool rims on your, on your ride. <laughs> Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes and around, all around. When the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved. And when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go. And the wheels would rise along with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures moved, they also moved. When the creatures stood still, they also stood still. And when the creatures rose from the ground, the wheels rose along with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked like, looked something like a vault, sparkling like crystal and awesome. Under the vault, their wings were stretched out one toward the other, and each had two wings covering its body. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. 
Then there came a voice from above the vault, over their heads, as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault, over their heads, was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli, which sounds like an Italian dish. Um, I'm not really sure what that is. Above the vault, over their heads, was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli, and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw what appeared to be his waist up. He looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. It's a really interesting thing about this passage. This guy just doesn't have the words to describe what he has seen. This is, this is a worship passage. He came into the presence of Almighty God, and he, could not, he couldn't even figure out how to describe it. He was so inspired and enraptured by this, all he could do was fall face down. And as you see from some of the examples I highlighted, he keeps on using this language. It looked like this. It wasn't that, but it looked like that. And, it, and by the end, he says, the man on the throne was the likeness of the appearance of a man. <laughs> so, Talk about a shadow being a secondary thing, throwing light. He's talking about, he's saying, it's, it's not like a man. It was like the likeness of a man. No, it wasn't even like that. It was like the likeness of the appearance of a man. Like he is just enraptured in worship, looking at God. So I guess the first thing that we can say when we're talking about what is God like, we can honestly say he is like nothing we've ever seen and like no person we've ever known. Words would fail you if you were in the presence of God. Words would fail you and you would fall face down, just like the prophet Ezekiel. What is God like? It can't be fully known. For God is actually incomprehensible in himself. God said, no man can see me and live. To Moses, um, I believe, he hid Moses in the crag of a rock, and then his glory passed by Moses. And then he lifted his hand just for a moment and allowed Moses to see his, his uh, chemtrail, I guess. That's <laughs> no, not chemtrail, really. But, you know, the, the blaze of glory coming out. Woe is me, I am undone, is the typical reaction to being in the presence of the Lord for a person. When, uh, when the cloud settled on the mountain and Moses went to get the Ten Commandments, uh, God, God said, you know, bring the people out. I will, I will bring my glory to the mountain. But the people begged Moses, please, please, you go. You go. It's too awesome for us. And so even though God had made a provision for them, they, they opted out. They're like, we don't, you know, they, they, were, they were a duplicitous people, of course. You know, these are the people that started worshiping a golden calf after a couple days when Moses was gone. You know, they did not want to be in the full glory of the Lord. They begged Moses to do it for them. God, in himself, who God is, is incomprehensible. So when we ask the question of what God is like, he's not like anything that we've ever seen or anyone that we've ever known exactly. God is God. And the only way to really describe God is to say it's his godness. That's, that's how we describe him. That's, his, that's his, his trait. He is different. He's set apart. He is God alone. 
this is something that we don't often reflect on. Tozer said, Left to ourselves, we tend immediately to reduce God to manageable terms. This God that we've been talking about. We want to get him where we can use him, or at least know where he is when we need him. We want a God we can, in some measure, control. We need the feeling of security that comes from knowing what God is like. And what he is like is, of course, a composite of all the religious pictures we've seen, all the best people we've known or heard about, and the sublime ideas we have entertained. So often, people's thoughts about God, as we talked about last week, are simply a composite of all the religious stuff we've heard or the best people we've known. And part of that is just as a comfort to us. If we can know that this is what it's like, then we can feel a comfort, or we can at least know he's there when we need him. But fundamentally, God, who God is in himself, is so glorious that he cannot be fully apprehended at all. So if God is beyond our comprehension, the question is, how do we come to know him? Because this all seems a little of of a hopeless exercise if this is the case, and this is how things are. Luke 10.22 Jesus says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. In 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 16, it says, Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. It is in Christ and by Christ that God affects complete self-disclosure, according to Tozer. He shows himself not to reason, but to faith and love. For faith is an organ of knowledge, and love is an organ of experience. God came to us in the incarnation in Christ. In the atonement of Christ, he reconciled us to himself. And by faith and love, we enter and lay hold of him. Because God is love, God isn't loving, God is love. God is love, and he has made a way for us to come to know him through Jesus. And this is a huge thing. Through Jesus Christ, God has opened up himself and said, I'm going to show you who I am through Jesus. In the incarnation, we see Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the Bible says. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So if you were to see God in human form, that would be Jesus. So we look to Jesus, and we can come to know who God is through Jesus. There's no spinning wheels with, like, living creatures and eyeballs, you know, something that's incomprehensible. God, the almighty, infinite God of the universe, came in Jesus and revealed who God is in human form out of love for us. Through looking at Jesus, we can come to know God. That's the the incarnation. In the atonement, Jesus shed his blood for our sins, and he covers our sins so that we are before God, declared to be holy and blameless in his sight. Through Jesus' atonement, all of our sins are covered over. All of our offenses against God are covered over. All of the covenant breaking and wanderings and everything that we've done, through looking to Jesus in faith, all of that is covered over. He reconciled us to himself. And then, as we look into these things in faith, God invites us to the mountain. God invites us to the mountain. I'd like to find that passage. Uh, it, it's very striking, the passage in, in Exodus when the people beg Moses, go for us, don't make us come up to the mountain. It's too terrifying for us. But because of the atonement, because of the incarnation, 
because we've been reconciled to Jesus, it says in Hebrews 12, 18, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. Quote, if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Unquote. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Of course, that was typical of Moses anyway. Um, he typically, <laughs> but he was trembling with fear at this sight, certainly. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, this world can be shaken, but God's kingdom cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. For our God is a consuming fire. We have been invited through the incarnation, through the atonement, to enter into a relationship with God by faith, and he said, come to know me. I invite you. Exercise your faith. Come to know me. I am beyond comprehension, but I will reveal myself to you. And God has revealed things about him to be true. They aren't personality characteristics. They are not uh, things that, that uh, are, are transient or can change, for God is unchanging. But God has declared things that are true about him and has invited us into the journey of coming to know him. And that is what this series is all about. But at the end of the day, we have to understand that even when we come to knowledge of God, it's a shadow. It's just a shadow of who God is. There's so much more to God, even beyond what we can possibly comprehend. Think about some of the ways the Bible talks about God. It talks about him being our Father. It says in, uh, in Matthew 6, in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In Isaiah 9, 6, it talks about him being the everlasting Father. Now, this idea of Father is an image used by Jesus and used by God, but... God is not exactly, you have to understand, like a father. Not exactly. He's beyond that. But it tells us something that's true about him, something that brings us into a deeper relationship with him. When we say God is a father, in that culture, what it meant uh, in a patriarchal society, the father in the tent community, which is what this is referring to, it was multiple families living together. Uh, there were you know, other men, other, other marriages, but a, a father that was over all of these people in this tent community. And he had the power of adoption. He had the power of adoption. He could adopt not only his own biological children, but other people. Uh, he had the power of redemption, redeeming people. Uh, he had the power of life and death. He had the authority to strike bargains, to make covenants, to make deals. I'll make you such a deal. That's, <laughs> that's what uh, the father had in that, in that community. So what, what are they saying when they say that he's the everlasting father? Well, he is the, well, everlasting uh, means eternal. So God is like an eternal father who has the power of adoption, the power of redemption, the power of 
striking a deal, <laughs> fulfilling a covenant. God is, does that eternally. God is like a father. How about like the good shepherd in Psalm 23? In Psalm 23, uh, David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We read that this week in the, in the Bible readings. In many ways, David is saying, He leads me by uh, to safety. He brings me in the way that I should go. He leads me in this way. And then Jesus in John 10 says, I am the good shepherd. I actually lay down my life for the sheep. So beyond just being a shepherd, Jesus is saying, I'm actually the good shepherd. I will actually lay my life down for the sheep in my, in my pen, whereas a hired hand would run away. Uh, it's an approximation of who God is. It tells us something about him, but God is greater than that image of, of being a shepherd. God is greater. Um, a king, we say that God is a king. In Psalm 47.7, it says that God is a king over all the earth. And so people took their idea of, of a king of, of a community, like Israel or something, and they they took that idea and they said, but he's king over everything, the whole cosmos. So God is a king, but he's beyond that too. Uh, God is a wonderful counselor. Uh, a counselor would be someone like a Solomon, who was a wise king, who made good and just and wise decisions. And it's saying that he is a wonderful counselor, and that word wonderful means incomprehensible. So God is an incomprehensible counselor who makes wise, uh, wise judgments. He's not just that, he's beyond that. Uh, he's, he's beyond that. In John, it talks about Jesus being the bridegroom uh, who, who comes to earth and he looks to, for his, for his bride and he gives his life for his bride. Uh, Jesus is the bridegroom. But Jesus is beyond that. All of the things that we think about God, they're a way to understand God, but they're shadows of the reality and the glory of who God really is. But the amazing thing is God has come down to show us himself. And as we respond in faith through the atonement of Jesus Christ, God is about revealing himself to us. And we're going to be looking in the coming weeks at all these different aspects of who God is, who he's revealed himself to be, uh, his attributes, the things that are true of him alone. And we are going to behold his glory. And I think that life is best lived when you have this... uh, this reverence for who God really is. We, we tend to just kind of shrink him down, but look what Ezekiel saw. Look what John saw on the island of Patmos in the book of Revelation. They, they saw things of God that was, were so crazy, they could only describe them by saying it was the likeness of the appearance of a throne. And it, what looked like the likeness of the appearance of a man, but his skin glowing with like, like burning sulfur, like crazy stuff. That's who God is. That's his glory, and God has revealed uh, himself to us through Jesus. And through Jesus, through faith, we come to know him in deeper and deeper ways. And as we line up our thoughts with the truth, with with the closest approximation of truth of who God is, we will draw near to God uh, with hearts full of faith. I, I thought that was a very interesting quote. Faith is an organ of knowledge. Love is an organ of experience. Many times, God hides himself from someone just completely understanding him. You can't completely comprehend everything about God before you come to a relationship with him. You just can't. Because you can't do that anyway as a human being. But through faith, it says without faith, it is impossible to please God. But someone with faith must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, it says in the scriptures. Through faith, we are given knowledge. And as we experience the knowledge of God through faith, we are given an experience of him that 
fills our hearts with the love of the Father. And his love has been poured out into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. But it all begins in faith. It all begins in, in the simple belief uh, in who Jesus is and, and in the atonement. And through that, we come to know God in deeper and deeper levels. And that's what this is all about. The greatest privilege known to us is that God has made himself known to us through Jesus Christ. I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit to stand in awe of the almighty majesty and power of God and then to take hold of him through faith in Jesus Christ and come to know this God who has stooped down to make himself known to us. I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You are dismissed. Go and be the church.